does unanswered prayer mean that God doesn't care? This is the Deep Questions Podcast, and I am your host, Chase Thompson, a pastor and writer in Salinas, California. As I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, the church that I pastor, Valley Baptist Church in sunny Salinas, is hosting a Reasons to Believe weekend June 24th through 26th of this year with Dr. Mike Lacona, who is the author of several books on the resurrection of Jesus and a debater of atheists, agnostics, and skeptics, both on YouTube and in colleges and universities. Dr. Lacona is himself a college professor. We would love to invite you and have you join us for that conference. And a link to sign up to it is over at our website, deepquestionspod.com. That's deepquestionspod.com. And if you're under 25, we are working on a way to get you into that conference for absolutely free. I'm also delighted to let you know that Dr. Lacona will be joining us on an episode of this podcast in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. Before there was a Marvel Cinematic Universe, there were Marvel comic books. And me, as a kid born in the 70s, well, I devoured comic books. I would buy as many as I could, but I would also ride my bicycle to our nearest grocery store, which was the Western Grocery Store in Cahaba Heights in Alabama, and I would plop myself down next to the magazine stand and read for an hour or two. Uh, yeah, I guess I was a weird kid. My favorite comics in the 70s were a little strange, the only ones that uh, I could get bought for myself by my parents. Uh, I remember one called House of Yang, which was a martial arts comic, and Sergeant Rock, which was a surprisingly mature and grim war comic. In the 80s, though, my tastes ran much more towards superheroes with Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Avengers, of course, and the West Coast Avengers being my favorite. Now, when the MCU movies came out, it was a refreshing reminder of my childhood, and ultimately, my kids became fans as well. Just today, we saw a new trailer for the upcoming Thor movie called Thor Love and Thunder, and I was struck by the villain's appearance, which was quite chilling and creepy. His name is Gore, and at this point in the episode, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, what does a silly Thor movie have to do with unanswered prayer? Well, as it turns out, a surprising amount. So bear with me for a few minutes longer and buckle your seatbelts. Gore, the bad guy in Thor Love and Thunder, is kind of a minor villain in the Marvel Comics universe, but he actually has a fascinating backstory. I imagine the movie's going to really play this up. In-universe, he is approximately 3,000 years old, and he was born on a distant and nameless planet in a galaxy far, far away. Gore's planet was very harsh. There was not a lot of food, and when he was young, both of his parents died tragically. A few years after that, Gore got married. He fathered several children with his partner, but the nameless planet they lived on had many dangers and toils and troubles, and even though Gore diligently prayed to the gods of that planet, his prayers were unanswered, and one by one by one by one, those closest to Gore died, all of them horribly and tragically. First his wife died, then his children, each individually starved to death, until there was only Gore left, and as you can imagine, he was quite bitter, heartbroken, 
grief-stricken, and perhaps most of all, absolutely furious and consumed with rage uh, against the gods who never answered his prayers. As fortune would have it, one day Gore came across two of those gods, gods with a little g, battling in a field. One of the gods vanquished the other and disappeared and left the vanquished one to die. The dying god was arrayed in splendid gold armor, and he possessed a sword of incredible power. He begged Gore for some help, but Gore, again, this is the evil villain in the upcoming Thor movie, Gore was enraged at any and all gods. He picked up the dark sword of this particular dying god and killed its owner, inheriting some of the power of that great sword. From there, Gore traveled and trained over hundreds, thousands of years, becoming one of the greatest warriors in the galaxy. And everywhere he went, Gore the God Butcher killed as many minor gods as he could because the Marvel Universe, you see, is the very opposite of atheistic. It's multi-theistic, even mega-theistic, to coin a word, absolutely brimming with gods thousands of them, maybe tens of thousands of them. Polytheistic doesn't adequately describe the theistic view of Marvel or DC Comics, for that matter. Well, that's enough comic book talk, but it's possible. Uh, it's very possible. I would say almost 100% sure that you and bitter, long-suffering gore have something in common. You, too, have offered prayers up to God, and they have gone unanswered. The thing is, unanswered prayer is a reality addressed over and over and over in the Bible, and it is a reality that almost every human on earth has confronted. Pastor John Piper addresses unanswered prayer head-on, saying, Unanswered prayer is a universal Christian experience. Every one of us has asked God for particular things that have been denied. We ask for help to make a B and only got a C. We ask for sleep and lay awake all night. We ask that her attitude or his attitude be changed and he or she stayed as sour as ever. We ask that they not go ahead with the divorce, and they did it anyway. We ask that he be pre protected in Vietnam, and he was killed. We ask that she be given the job, and they gave it to another. We ask that the place be full, and only a few showed up. We ask that she be healed, but she passed away. The experience, says Piper, is so common, we have even woven it into our hymns. One of the great old Swedish hymns says, Thanks for prayers that thou hast answered. Thanks for what thou dost deny. Thanks for storms that I have weathered. Thanks for all thou dost supply. Another hymn says, Teach me to feel that thou art always near. Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear. To check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. Piper says it is an agonizing thing to cry out to God for the life of a loved one and watch it ebb irrevocably away. Hmm. Indeed, I would say the most well-known religious scholar in the United States left his Christian faith behind, at least partially because of unanswered prayer. Many of you have probably heard the name 
Bart Ehrman. He is a Bible scholar who has written six, that's a lot, New York Times bestselling books, and he has appeared on innumerable documentaries and TV broadcasts, including The Colbert Report, The Daily Show, Dateline, NBC, and a lot of others. Dr. Ehrman has been called the Professor Moriarty, who is the enemy of Sherlock Holmes, of Bible scholars, because he's an avowed agnostic well on his way to atheism. Ehrman, however, did not start out his Bible scholar career as an agnostic, as you might imagine, but rather he was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton University, where Billy Graham went. He was a self-described evangelical Bible-believing Christian up until his mid-20s. What changed his mind about all of that? Well, ultimately, suffering, sorrow, and unanswered prayers, which are three topics that are going to be the subject of some of our uh, upcoming podcasts. In describing his departure from any sort of biblical Christian faith, Dr. Ehrman says, Suffering increasingly became a problem for me and my faith. How can one explain all the pain and the misery in the world If God, the creator and redeemer of all, is sovereign over it, exercising his will both on the grand scheme and the daily workings of our lives, why, I ask, is there such rampant starvation in the world? Why are there droughts, epidemics, hurricanes, and earthquakes? If God answers prayer, why didn't he answer the prayers of the faithful Jews during the Holocaust? or of the faithful Christians who also suffered torment and death at the hands of the Nazis. If God is concerned to answer my little prayers about my daily life, why didn't he answer my my and others' big prayers when millions were being slaughtered by the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, or when a mudslide killed 30,000 Colombians in their sleep in a matter of minutes, when disasters of all kinds caused by humans and by nature happen in the world. Similar to this, on his blog in 2017, Dr. Ehrman writes, As a Christian, from the time I was able to think through my teenage and early 20s fundamentalist period up to my more mature adult liberal phase, I had believed in some form of the traditional biblical God. This was a God who was not some kind of a remote designer of the universe who had gotten the ball rolling and then stood aloof from everything he had created. This was a God who was active in the world. He loved people and was intent on showering his love on them. He helped them when they were in need. He answered their prayers. He intervened in this world when it was necessary and important to do so. But I had come very much to doubt that any such God existed, and it was the problem of suffering that had created these doubts and that eventually led me to doubt it so much that I simply no longer believed it. If God helps his people, why doesn't he help his people? If he answers prayer, why doesn't he answer prayer? If he intervenes, why doesn't he intervene? It was innocent suffering that made me think there is no such God. People who are faithful to God, who devote their lives to Him, who pray to Him, suffer no less than those who are indifferent to God or even scornful toward His existence. When a tsunami kills 300,000 people, the believers are included along with the unbelievers, no difference. When a child starves to death, as happens once every seven seconds, her prayers are never answered. When a holocaust kills many millions of people, The chosen people of God are not exempt, just the opposite. 
Notice how in those just two paragraphs that Dr. Ehrman mentions prayers or praying nine different times, I counted. He was obviously very, very troubled about the times when God doesn't answer prayer. And this ultimately, according to him, led him to leave the faith. What was relevant was the very heart of the Christian claim that God loves his people, answers their prayers, and intervenes when they are in need. Are in need. I came to think, says Dr. Ehrman, that there was no such God, and I decided that I had no choice but to abandon my faith and leave the Christian tradition. In other words, God doesn't answer prayers, says Bart Ehrman, so I had no choice given that information but to abandon my faith and leave the Christian tradition. So, unanswered prayer for some people, for perhaps all people, is a very, very serious issue. Not merely in comic books, but also in real life. In my life and in your life. What does unanswered prayer say about God? Does it invalidate the Bible? Does it invalidate the idea of a good and caring God who hears his people's prayers? Should we, like Dr. Ehrman, abandon our faith when God doesn't do what we want him to, or should we abandon our faith because we so see so much suffering in the world? Obviously, I do not believe we should do that, and what we want to do in today's episode is to examine the Bible's teaching on prayer, specifically unanswered prayers, and see whether or not we should expect times of unanswered prayer in our own lives, or if unanswered prayers are things that should rock our faith. So, why do some prayers go unanswered? Well, the Bible gives us a few obvious and some simple answers to that question. So we're going to go through, oh, I forget how many it was, I think 14, 14 reasons some of our prayers are unanswered. Some of these are simple and obvious reasons that you probably heard of before. Some of them are quite a bit deeper, noting that uh, the simple explanations probably are not the kinds of uh things that people like Dr. Ehrman struggle with. All right, so here's 14 reasons why our prayers might go unanswered. Number one, sometimes prayers are unanswered because we are praying for silly or frivolous or indulgent things. For instance, James 4.3 notes, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, a young man praying for a Lamborghini or a young lady praying for a billionaire husband or, you know, vice versa, might be examples of praying with wrong motives. James tells us that we often won't receive from God when we pray for such things because we're not praying for good things. We're praying for uh, empty things. Why would God not want uh, to bless his people with Lamborghinis or billionaire spouses? Well, perhaps James 4, 6 gives us a little bit of clue where God said, where it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right. Second reason. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer because we are walking in repeated, deliberate, or unrepentant sin. Now, this is mentioned in several Psalms, including something like Psalm 66, 18, where it is said, if I had cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
Or how about Isaiah 59 too, which says, your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Also a New Testament passage, 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, the solution for this issue is somewhat simple. Turn away from our sins, to repent, ask for forgiveness so that times of refreshing might come from God. Now, I'll note here, not all unanswered prayer is because of sin, nor is all unanswered prayer due to a lack of faith. We will see this most conclusively at the end of today's episode when we look at the single most famous and significant unanswered prayer of all time, a prayer that was not answered by God, or actually it was negatively answered by God, despite the prayer prayer praying with full faith and absolutely zero trace of sin in his life. All right, number three reason God doesn't answer our prayers. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we are not praying in the name of Jesus. Now, do I mean by this that God won't answer our prayers when we don't conclude them by saying, in the name of Jesus, amen, or something like that? No, and this is really important. I don't mean that at all. And I'm pretty sure that you will not find a single prayer in the entire Bible that ends with something like, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, it is true. Jesus said in John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But that does not appear to mean that we should simply add a rubber stamp in the name of Jesus, amen, onto the end of all of our prayers. Well, if it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? Let me give you an example. In the 1990s, uh, a preacher named Reuben Archer Torrey, R.A. Torrey, an American preacher who uh, worked with somebody you might have heard of, D.L. Moody, tells of a time when he was preaching in Melbourne, Australia, and a man handed him a note asking him to teach on unanswered prayer. According to Torrey, the note said this, Hello, Dr. Tory. I am in great perplexity. I've been praying for a long time for something I'm confident is, is in accord with God's will, but I have not gotten it. I have been a member of my Presbyterian church for 30 years, and I've been a consistent in attendance the entire time. I've been superintendent in the Sunday school for 25 years. I've been an elder for 20 years. Yet, God has not answered my prayer. I cannot understand it. Can you help me? Well, Dr. Torrey got up to the podium and he said something along these lines. The problem that this gentleman is having is that he is coming in his own name, trusting in his own religiosity, his good works, and his accomplishments to bend the arm of God, so to speak, and make him answer the prayer. He should not be coming to God in his own name, says Tory, trusting in his own good works, etc., but rather he should be coming in the name and righteousness and worth and works of Jesus. In other words, coming to God in Jesus' name means that you approach God boldly, not because you're worthy, but because Jesus is worthy. This is what's meant by a passage like Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So we don't come to God in prayer boldly because we're good, because we're a pastor, we've been a superintendent of Sunday school for 25 years or whatever. We come boldly because of what Jesus has done. He enables us to come to the throne of grace boldly. And that's what it means to come in Jesus's name. It means we come under his auspices at his invitation by his blood as if he's holding the door open for us. Well, number four, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the first time or the first few times we pray because he desires that we learn to persevere in prayer. In other words, to pray and not give up. One of the greatest and deepest teachings of Jesus himself on prayer is found in his parable in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And this prayer is, this parable is so important for us to understand that he actually tells us the meaning for the parable before he even shares the parable. And I actually think this is the only parable in the Bible that is, uh, is like this where Jesus explains the meaning before he actually shares the parable. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Some answers to prayers, my friends, only come through persistence. Why is that? Well, look, I'm only speculating, but it could be that God is a relational God, who absolutely delights when we draw near to him in prayer. One word the great giants of prayer in the past often used was the word importunity. It's a word that means shameless persistence. You could also say it means rude persistence. It's characterized by the woman in Jesus's parable on prayer with importunity, rude persistence, She kept asking the judge for justice, and finally, he relented. Jesus uses this precious woman as an example for prayer for us. And I do want to give you a couple of quotes on persistence in prayer. I kind of collect these because they spur me on, and I need to be spurred on in prayer. The great American missionary Adoniram Judson says, God loves importunate prayer. In other words, God loves persistently rude prayer, so much that he will not give us much blessing without it. How about Ian Bounds, who says, Importunate prayer is the earnest inward movement of the heart towards God. It is the throwing of the entire force of the spiritual man into the exercise of prayer. Forceless prayer have no power to overcome difficulties, no power to win marked results or to gain complete victories. He prays not at all who does not press his plea. 
cold prayers have no claim on heaven and no hearing in the courts above. Fire is the life of prayer, and heaven is reached by flaming importunity rising in an ascending scale. One more, Matthew Henry, who says, The prayers and supplications that Christ offers up were joined with strong cries and tears, herein setting us an example not only to pray, but to be fervent and importunate in prayer. In other words, to be shamelessly persistent. How many dry prayers, how few wet ones do we offer up to God, says Matthew Henry. Well, let Galatians 6, 9 be a final encouragement here. Let us not grow weary of doing good, says the apostle, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. All right, number five, the fifth reason our prayers may not be answered is a surprising one. Sometimes the prayers of husbands in particular are hindered and unanswered because they are mistreating their wives or cheating on their wives or being unfaithful. Well, we see that in 1 Peter 3, 7, where it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Far from the Bible teaching husbands to be bossy, overbearing leaders who are to be weighted on hand and foot, the Bible teaches that men are to sacrificially love their wives like Christ loved the church, see Ephesians 5, and should show great honor to them. Husbands who don't treat their wives well in this way will find their prayers quite hindered. Along those lines, also consider the strong words of Malachi chapter 2, verse 13, This second thing you do, says Malachi 2, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant." Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Because, my friends, if we are faithless to the wife of our youths, don't be surprised if God doesn't listen to your prayers or regard your offering because he cares for the wives of our youth. Number six reason that God may not answer our prayers. Sometimes our prayers are unanswered because we are not forgiving somebody for what they've done to us. Yes, according to Jesus himself, unforgiveness hinders our prayers. As Jesus says in Mark 11, 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If you don't forgive others, we ourselves will not be forgiven, and thus our prayers will go unheeded and unheard. Forgiveness is central to being a Christian. As C.S. Lewis points out when he writes, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Wow. Number seven, sometimes prayers that are showy or attention-getting 
might not be answered. Now, of course, I realize this might be a rare case, but it could be a very public case. Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says, when you pray, you must not like be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, says Jesus, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus teaches us that we should not be prayer show-offs, but rather secret prayers. Along those lines, George Mueller, caretaker of 10,000-plus Victorian orphans, never made financial needs known to the public But he secretly prayed for them, and he saw God answer literally thousands of prayers for provision. Number eight, sometimes prayers are not answered because we are not helping the poor and needy that we know about. Well, you might say, how could such a thing hinder my prayers? Well, look, I don't know the exact mechanism, but the word of God couldn't be any clearer in passages like Proverbs 21.13, which says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Hmm, strong. Number nine, sometimes prayers are not answered due to the lack, a lack of faith or the presence of doubt. James 1, 6 through 7 says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Jesus teaches something very similar in Mark 11, 22-24, where he says, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, one might fairly ask why we don't see more mountains being thrown into the sea in direct answer to prayer, and I would suggest that at least one of the reasons is found right in the middle of what Jesus is saying here, does not doubt in his heart. Praying a prayer like that for a mountain to be thrown into the sea, or perhaps uh, another example, a fig tree to never be bearing fruit again, that requires absolute faith and zero doubt. Such perfect faith might prove difficult for those of us in these big, miraculous prayer-type situations, but Jesus himself would have walked in 100% faith with zero doubting. That's why he could pray against the fig tree, and it would not give off any more fruit. That said, I believe that even our own less than 100% faith is crucial in prayer, and doubt is a great enemy of prayer, as James 1.6 indicates Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Some prayers are not answered due to doubt or lack of faith. Number 10. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we are praying for the wrong thing or praying for a sinful outcome. One such prayer almost happened when Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him to prepare for a trip to a Samaritan village. Luke 9 tells us the story beginning in verse 51. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. 
He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Look, while this passage doesn't specifically use the word prayer, almost certainly the impetuous sons of thunder brothers James and John would have prayed or called upon God to send down fire to consume the Samaritan village. Would God have answered such a prayer? Almost certainly, again, not at all, considering the fact that Jesus rebuked the disciples after they expressed such a horrible thought. An Old Testament example of this is even more clear when we see an exasperated prophet like literally ask God to kill him because he was so upset and frightened. This is, of course, Elijah, and we read about it in 1 Kings 19, 3-5. Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. He went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Now, not only does this passage show us that some of the mightiest people of God in the Bible were not invulnerable to depression and hopelessness, but this also demonstrates that mature followers of God might just pray something that is way out of line with his will. It was not God's will to kill Elijah in that moment, obviously. It was not God's will to send down fire to consume an entire Samaritan village. And so God did not answer either of those prayers. Maybe we haven't prayed prayers for God to instantly kill us or to burn down an entire village, but we likely have prayed other impetuous or brash or badly motivated prayers And it's grace and goodness that those prayers have gone unanswered, isn't it? Number 11. Sometimes our prayers are in fact answered, but the answer is delayed in coming from our perspective. In other words, God says yes and sets into motion the answer to our prayers, but from our human and temporal perspective, it will appear that our prayers are unanswered or unheard, or God simply said no. We see an excellent example of this in Daniel chapter 9 and 10. In this book, Daniel reads the words of the prophet Jeremiah that that God has said the captivity of Daniel's people in Babylon would end in 70 years. And Daniel realizes that the 70 years are almost completely up. So he begins to pray to God about that, asking for God to end the captivity. But he does not get an answer to his prayer of any kind for weeks. Finally, an angel comes and tells him his prayer was answered affirmatively as soon as Daniel prayed it. We read this in Daniel 9 verse 20. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me this explanation. Daniel I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I've come to give it. For you are treasured by God, so consider the message and understand the vision. 
And then we hear more about that in Daniel 10, verse 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. So God had answered Daniel's prayers and answered them immediately, but the answer was delayed in coming by some sort of spiritual warfare situation. And you know what? I presume this sort of thing can still happen. And Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this very chapter, seems to think the same thing. He says, Daniel's prayer was answered at once while he was yet speaking and at the beginning of his supplication. But it's not always that way, says Spurgeon. Like Jeremiah, people have cried out, you have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. That's Lamentations 3.44. Thus, says Spurgeon, true saints have continued in patient waiting for months, and there have been instances in which their prayers have even waited years without reply, not because they were not fervent or because they were unaccepted, but because it so pleased him who is a sovereign God and who gives according to his own pleasure. If it pleases him to require our patience to exercise itself, will he not do as he wills with his own? Beggars must not be choosers either as to time, place, or form. We must not take delays in prayer for denial. God's long-dated bills will be punctually honored. We must not allow Satan to shake our confidence in the God of the truth by pointing to our unanswered prayers. We are dealing with a being whose years are within without end, to whom one day is like a thousand years. Far be it from us to count him slack by measuring his doings by the standards of our little hour. Unanswered petitions are not unheard. God keeps a file for our prayers. They are not blown away by the wind. They are treasured in the king's archives. Very encouraging words from Spurgeon. Number 12. Similarly, sometimes our prayers aren't answered because we don't have the full perspective on what we're asking for. We might be doing the equivalent of asking God for a venomous snake as a pet, and God will instead give us a fish. Or maybe we're asking for a scorpion to eat, and God is going to give us an egg instead. Now, that might not make sense until you read Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, which says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, commenting on this particular passage, Pastor Tim Keller says, Think about prayer in this way. If you're a child approaching your father, you can run in and you grab him by the sleeve and you say, hey, you have to help me. You have to come now. You have to get me this. You have to get me that. You don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to bow down or scrape on the ground. You don't have to say, excuse me, master. No, you say daddy and you run in and you grab it. Now, this kind of impertinent, importunate, 
irreverent, absolutely familiar behavior with a great personage is only appropriate if you are the beloved child of that person. Parents are continually responding to children's needs but ignoring their requests. This is where the submission comes in. Children are used to this. Parents continually respond to the need, but they might ignore the specific requests. What do I mean? Well, an example. You're walking along with your child, and suddenly the child sees a little scorpion. The child runs toward it, and the dad says, what are you doing? The kid says, I want that for a pet. Well, what do you do? You grab the kid. You pick him up and say, no, (laughs) it's an unanswered prayer. You say, honey, honey, listen, if you want a pet, I'll get you a fish. I'll get you a chicken or puppy or whatever. Let me give you another children's example. Why? Because prayer is a family issue. Jesus Christ demands that when you pray, you go to him as father. Imagine you're a parent. You come to see a child. The child wants to start to light some firecrackers or something like that. And you say, hey, that's dangerous. I've seen children whose hands have been blown off with firecrackers, so we're not going to do it. But I do understand what your problem is. You're bored and you don't have anything else to do, so you want some firecrackers. Well, look, if you forget those firecrackers, come with me. I'll take you someplace that will be so great, so much more fun than the firecrackers and safer too. Well, what does the child often say in that situation? They might say, I want my firecrackers and I don't want to go anywhere else. Well, what's the principle? First, when the child is asking for something that is bad for him or her, a good parent will not give them that item, but they will respond to the need. When a child asks for firecrackers, you realize the child is really saying, I'm bored, I'm unhappy, I want to do something, I want to have fun. So what you say is, no, no, not firecrackers, honey, but I'm going to give you what you're really after. I will respond to the underlying need. Honey, you want a pet? Yes, but not that snake or scorpion, this cute little puppy dog. Honey, you want to eat something? Great, but don't eat that huge jawbreaker or the big bag of cotton candy. What are you doing as a parent? In every case, you're saying, I'm going to respond to your need because I love you and I'm a parent and I want to see you pleased. I want to see you joyful. I want to see you satisfied, but for the particular thing you're asking for, no. Children are used to that. Their parents are constantly saying to them, Honey, I'm going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything I know. Christians are people who know that's the way it is with prayer. When I pray to God, I'll get what I asked or I will get what I would have asked for had I known everything he knows. God's going to respond to my need even if he turns down my specific request. Number 13. Sometimes prayers are not answered by God because to answer them would deprive us of some good that God wants to give us or to answer those prayers would bring about some evil or sin that God wants to avoid in our lives. Now, this one can be a little bit complicated to understand, but we do have a wonderful example of this reason for unanswered prayer in the Bible. Consider the Apostle Paul. One of the mightiest men of God to ever live, unquestionably a man of great faith, holiness, and persistence in prayer. What possible reason could God have to say no to a prayer of Paul? Well, 
it turns out that God would say no to a prayer of Paul when saying yes would have resulted in pride taking over Paul's life. Consider the amazing story of Paul's thorn in his flesh. Now, the Bible never tells us what the thorn was. I don't know, maybe a health struggle, a spiritual attack or weakness, what something. We don't know. But the Bible does tell us that the thorn in Paul's flesh was there via a messenger of Satan. So when faced with the tormenting effects of this particular message of messenger of Satan, Paul did what we should do. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And God did not deliver Paul from this thorn in the flesh. We read about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revolutions, revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This demonstrates an incredible truth. And that truth is that the a literal messenger of Satan tormenting us, or ter- tormenting Paul in this particular instance, is somehow less dangerous than pride. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of mind-blowing. A literal messenger of Satan tormenting Paul was less threatening to him, less dangerous to him than pride. Well, that tells you how dangerous our pride can be as as well as the importance of humility. It also demonstrates for us that God will sometimes say no to our prayers when saying yes would ultimately be bad for us or bad for our character in the long run. That's pretty mind-blowing. Finally, and hopefully deeply, most deeply, sometimes prayers are not answered in the way we want them to be answered because such an answer is simply not God's will. We see this reality reflected in a passage like 1 John five fourteen through 15 which says, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know we have what we have asked of him. Well, when we pray according to God's will, 1 John tells us that we will have what we ask for in prayer. But if we do not pray according to God's will, then we won't have what we ask for. And this is a probably a pretty good place to point out that First John 5, 14 and 15 isn't telling us to add on a little magic phrase to our prayer like, if it be thy will. What God is telling us, what John is telling us, is that God will answer our prayers when our prayers line up with our his sovereign will for our lives and By the same token, we can read into these verses that God will not answer our prayers that do not line up with his will for our lives. Yes, this is a most tricky reason for unanswered prayers and the one that will take up most of our attention. These kinds of unanswered prayers, I suspect, are the ones that so many of us struggle with, including Dr. Bart Ehrman. I further suspect, but I can't prove it, that this reason, placed last for a reason, represents the single most common reason for unanswered prayers. In other words, the majority of unanswered prayers, or prayers that are answered with a no, are answered that way because answering the prayers any differently would not be in accord with God's will. In other words, the thing that God intends to do in our lives and the lives of others. 
In this somewhat murky, at least murky from our perspective, reason for unanswered prayer, we can take at least some strong measure of comfort from Romans 8.28, which is surely one of the ten most important verses in the scripture, which says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Consider Joseph in light of Romans 8.28. We read about him in Genesis. He was a good kid, uh, beloved by his parents, though maybe a little bit holier than thou in his younger days. His brothers were jealous and sold him into slavery, which led to his being deported, thinking he would never see his family or homeland again. While he was deported into a foreign land, he was falsely accused of rape and thrown into a deep and no doubt nasty prison. How many prayers of Joseph along the way went unanswered or were answered negatively? Hundreds? Thousands? Tens of thousands? Think about his journey from Israel to Egypt. Lackly, he was handcuffed and walking behind a horse through arid lands. It was just horrific the whole way. And you can imagine Joseph asking God for rescue at every spare minute, maybe even with every breath. And those prayers were not answered, not in the least. Now, I'm quite sure Joseph struggled with all of this right up until the point where he was confronted by his brothers years later. His brothers were on the verge of dying of famine, and then Joseph began to realize that God caused him to be kidnapped and suffer for such a time as this. Indeed, Joseph utters one of the more profound sentences in the Bible to his formerly treacherous brothers when he says in Genesis fifty twenty. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Hard as it is to live through, and as difficult as it is to understand, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because he's working his Romans 8.28 will for our lives and the lives of those around us. Maybe we'll see that one day like Joseph did, and maybe we won't. There's not a guarantee. Romans 8.28 tells us, though, that metaphorically, God is playing chess at an above grandmaster level, and we are merely playing checkers at an absolute beginning level. I recall praying a prayer many years ago that a particular church in Florida would call my wife and I to come uh, minister there. Look, I love Florida. I love the weather in Florida. Always wanted to live in Florida. Grew up in Alabama. Uh, always was kind of uh, envious of Florida. Love that place. This was a great church. It was in a great location. And I prayed many times to go there. And I believe I prayed those prayers in faith. God ultimately said no. And now that I'm looking back on it many, many years later, I could hardly be more grateful. In hindsight, it's clear he wasn't calling us to that church, but to an entirely different place of ministry. But I didn't see that at the time. I'm glad he said no to my prayers. These kinds of unanswered prayers, or negatively answered prayers in this case, are not difficult to understand in retrospect, looking back, but they can be remarkably difficult to understand when you're going through that particular situation. Of greater concern and more troubling are unanswered or negatively answered prayers for things that are almost certainly good, 
prayers of a husband for his ailing wife, prayers of a faithful mom for her suffering child, prayers of a country being pummeled by an evil army for peace, rescue, safety, and relief, prayers of the church in a village or city being consumed by a terrible pandemic, prayers of a son for his dying father. You get the idea, don't you? And I suspect in listening to this, you yourself have several of those kind of unanswered prayers in mind, things that God said no to that you still don't understand, that still leave scars in your heart and still bring a tear to your eye. What in the world are we supposed to do with unanswered prayers like that? Well, look, There's no single, simple, or pithy answer to that question, and honestly, it would be ministerial malpractice for me to act like there are simple answers to those questions. When we are in desperate situations and our prayers go unanswered, we feel utterly abandoned, don't we? And yet, such a feeling is not unfamiliar to the great saints of the Bible As we see in the prayer book of the Bible, the book of the Psalms, for instance, Psalms 22 uh, says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Or how about Psalm 10, 1 and 2? Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogant, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they've devised. Well, did you catch those prayers? I cry by day, but you don't answer. Why do you stand so far away, God? Why are the arrogant wickedly pursuing their schemes? You're just not doing anything about it. Did you know verses like that are in the Bible? Indeed, that's only the tiniest sampling of many passages like that that are in the Bible. Bart Ehrman is not the first person to feel like God is standing far off or not answering. David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Moses, Samuel, Ezekiel, Joseph, Abraham, and many, perhaps even most of the great and faithful saints in the Bible faced the same exact issue of unanswered prayer, and ultimately they did not abandon their hope in God. Consider Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Those are the anguish-filled words of a man who's poured out his heart day by day and night by night, and he's feeling absolutely ignored by God. Now, think about it. That's King David saying those things, writing before his great sin with Bathsheba. He's called a man after my own heart by God himself. He was a man of prayer and great worship and devotion to God. How do you think God would respond to such a man's prayers? Wouldn't God always answer him quickly and positively? Well, no, apparently not, because David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
When you read that psalm and Psalm 10 and Psalm 22 and dozens of other psalms, you're going to realize that David and other people like David were exceedingly familiar with unanswered prayer. And yet, if you go to the end of Psalm 13, you're going to see in verse 5 and 6, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Now, is there a resolution? Go read Psalm 13 all to yourself. The first four verses are basically, God, why aren't you listening to me? Why are you ignoring me? And then the last verse basically says, you know what? I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to sing to you anyway. In Psalm 13, David doesn't get to the point where God answers his prayer. David pours out his heartbreak, doesn't get his answers, and still his confession is this. I have trusted in your steadfast love, and I'm going to sing to you. What are you going to sing about, David? God hasn't answered your prayers yet. You still forget and feel like like you're still feeling forgotten by God in this matter that you're praying about. Well, that may be true, says David, but you know what? I'm going to sing about how God in the past has dealt so wonderfully with me, even though right now I feel like he's ignoring me. Look, you honestly can't read through the Psalms and think that unanswered prayers or feeling neglected by God is anything new or novel or surprising in the experience of a God believer. I'm not sure how Ehrman missed that, but all of the emotions that we feel when we're going through suffering and heartbreak and when we feel neglected and when we're wrestling with the frustration of unanswered prayers are right there in the Psalms, usually expressed more strongly than I would express myself, unless you think that all of the songs come to a neat and positive conclusion like Psalm 13 did, where the psalmist realizes he was probably overreacting or something like that. Consider a psalm like Psalm 44, which the ending and pretty much the whole psalm is just one lament after another. This is how Psalm 44 ends, written by the sons of Korah. Verse 22 says, For your sake, we're killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, Lord? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction, our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And you know what? That's how this all ends. And neither you nor I nor Dr. Bart Ehrman are the first persons to feel like God is sleeping or snoozing when we cry out to him. Such feelings are thousands of years old and far from being unaddressed or suppressed in the Bible, they're frequently highlighted in various places. And that brings us to the most famous and significant unanswered prayer in history. This prayer was prayed by the most devout, holy, faithful, righteous, wise, and theologically correct being to ever walk the face of the earth, Jesus himself. His prayer was prayed with the greatest intensity ever attached to any prayer, a prayer prayed with such effort and wholehearted and whole body devotion that it literally caused drops of blood to drop off of the brow of Jesus, and yet this prayer 
wasn't merely unanswered. It was answered with a profound no from God. Let's read about it. Luke 22, 39 through 46. He, Jesus, went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from there about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation, anguish, agony, fervently praying. Matthew tells us that Jesus was sorrowful to the point of death. And Luke tells us that he was just in utter agony and anguish. Jesus prayed this prayer. Father, take this cup from me with every fiber of his being and his father said no. And we know his father said no because of the last words of Jesus on the cross, quoting the Psalms again, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? If you've ever faced unanswered prayer or heard God saying no to your prayer, then know and understand that you are not alone. You are in good company standing with Jesus himself. God the Father said no to Jesus the Son so that you and I could be saved by the awful death that Jesus died in our place. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. I'm quite overwhelmingly grateful for that unanswered prayer. As Pastor Tim Keller says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's from Isaiah. In a nutshell, his rejection, his rejection, says Keller, his rejection is our acceptance. He didn't just come to be rejected as an example. He came to be rejected as a savior. His rejection means our acceptance. He was rejected for our sins. He was our substitute. That means his rejection has led to our acceptance. God accepts us because Jesus was rejected. At the beginning of his life, the prophet Simeon says that Jesus will be a sign that is spoken against because he's spoken against, says Keller. You can be spoken for because he's rejected you can be accepted because there's no room for him. You can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there you go. That's 14 reasons. And that's not an exhaustive list as long as this podcast episode is. That's 14 reasons why God might not answer our prayer or might say no to our prayer. I'm sure there are other reasons as well. Now, do these unanswered prayers give us evidence that God doesn't exist? Does unanswered prayer prove atheism? Well, today we've seen from Scripture, Old and New Testament, that some of the greatest and godliest saints in the Bible dealt repeatedly with unanswered prayers, and thus unanswered prayer no more proves atheism than me telling my kids no to one of their requests or not 
immediately answering one of their requests prove that I myself don't exist. If you, right now, are facing the dark and painful chill of unanswered prayer, I want you to know that you are not alone and God has not abandoned you. May these closing words from Pastor John Piper bring comfort to you as you wait and watch. Preach to yourself that even the great Apostle Paul was afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He was perplexed, but not despairing, says Second Corinthians 4.8. That David discovered in the darkness that God's anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning, Psalm 30, verse 5. Preach to yourself what David learned in his battle with his despair, that even when he says despairingly, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will all be night. Nevertheless, there is a greater truth, which is this, even the darkness is not dark to thee, O God, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee, so says Psalm 139, 11-12. The final lesson of the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' death on the cross at Calvary and the book of the Psalms is that all dark caves of despondency are ultimately tunnels leading to fields of joy for those who don't sit down in the dark and blow out the candle of faith in future grace. My dear friends, hang on, stand firm. He is good. And one day, all of these unanswered prayers will make sense. Well, that's all for today. But we have some deep topics coming up in the very near future, Lord willing. As mentioned earlier, Dr. Mike Lacona should be joining us soon. And we're also going to be talking a good bit more about suffering and evil and why bad things happen to seemingly good people. We're also going to be talking about the Southern Baptist Church abuse, cover-up scandal, and catastrophe, and we will tackle the question, should Christians be pro-gun? Please subscribe and share the show with your friends, share us on social media, tell somebody about it. Good day to you, and Godspeed.